Blog Talk Radio. our spiritual heritage. In doing so, we will gain insights, some surprising insights, I might add, that our long-lost Western spiritual heritage can offer us today in our life. 
This is your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology and energy psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 190,000 audio books and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer free of charge and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energy awareness. My guest, Linda Johnson, a longtime student of religious philosophy, holds degrees in both Eastern and Western psychology and has postgraduate training in theology and Sanskrit. She has written hundreds of articles for Yoga International, Yoga Journal, and other publications, and she is the award-winning author of eight books on spirituality, including Daughters of the Goddess, the Women Saints of India, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Hinduism, and our topic for discussion, Lost Masters, Rediscovering the Mysticism of the Ancient Greek Philosophers. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? <laughs> hey, T. Thanks for having me on to talk about my favorite subject in the world. <laughs> I can tell by the book. <laughs> you are very passionate. It, it shows. It comes through in the writing, and it's wonderful. First, kudos to you for having Eckhart Tolle write your foreword. That's a wonderful tribute to you. And, wow, that's where you must have been thrilled. <laughs> Shout out to Eckhart. You know, he, um, he read the material in this book, and he was so excited about it. He thought, people need to know about this stuff. So he very graciously volunteered to write the foreword, and he really pushed to have, uh, he, he actually had the uh, rights to the book purchased by New World Library and helped put the book out. So thank you, Eckhart. Yes. Well, I think it's important to recognize those people that help us in our lives. I certainly try to do that as much as I can. And, you know, I saw that and I thought, wow, pretty cool to have Eckhart Tolle. You know, I mean, this is really a big deal. So, again, kudos to you. I think I'll start with my first question here will be, you know, when and, and what was it that inspired you to turn to India for answers to your own spiritual questions? Well, um, I actually have a very, very strong Christian background, and, and I have a lot of respect for that tradition. But my own interest was more in the mystical dimension of spirituality. You know, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God, but it doesn't help you find a way to be still. And so I wound up studying, you know, yoga and spending time in India um, and uh, writing numerous books and hundreds of magazine articles about my experiences there and, and about the yogic uh, tradition. And, boy, the last thing I thought that I'd ever be writing about was the ancient Greeks. I mean, I thought that they were about as relevant to our spiritual life today as bows and arrows. Um, and, uh, but, but I was worried that, um, after all these books that I might begin to repeat myself. 
so I thought, well, let me look into, well, what were the spiritual practices? What was spiritual life like in the ancient Western world before the rise of Christianity? Um, and, uh, and the best documented traditions are, are, are the uh, traditions of the ancient Greeks uh, and the Greco-Roman world. And when I started reading that, it just blew my fuses. I mean, I was <laughs> astonished to find how much the Greeks had in common with spiritual seekers today. You know, we're always told that the, that the Greeks were the founders of uh, the Western, you know, scientific materialistic paradigm. But what the Greeks tell us about themselves is that they were intensely interested in spirituality. Many of them believed in karma and reincarnation. You know, a lot of them were vegetarian. You know, they meditated. They studied near-death experiences. They fought for animal rights. Uh, they tried to understand God and the nature of their own souls. Um, as I was reading all these ancient uh, uh, Greek texts, uh, what I was finding was that in antiquity, people thought of the Greek philosophers not as eccentric old men who wrote boring books that no one wants to read, as we think of them today. They thought of them as sages, as, as spiritual teachers. Um, uh, they had a very rational approach to all this, but they did not consider metaphysical subjects to be off-limits like a lot of scientific types do today. And I'm hoping, T, that during our talk today, you're going to let me tell the, uh, our listeners about uh, some of these great masters because they were just mind-blowing guys and gals. I absolutely am. I, you know, it's funny. The um, the Greeks, the Greek philosophers, were interested in near-death experiences and meditation and metaphysics in general, and they didn't poo-poo the idea the way that science has been known to do. That's for sure. That that was very interesting uh, because it's almost as though. Uh, you know, these teachings, the wisdom of these sages, they were lost for 2,000 years, and then they made a comeback during the Renaissance, and then it was lost again. And now it right, seems exactly. to be making a comeback yet again. So that, I find that interesting. Why do you think that is? Well, um, first of all, uh, with the rise of my own tradition, Christianity, you know, Christianity has a, you know, a very beautiful side and also kind of a, a, a not-so-beautiful underside. And and what some uh, when we look at what some Muslims are doing today, some of the extremists are doing today, we're really really shocked, and we forget that uh, there were early Christian zealots who were just like that, who set out to exterminate all other traditions, and came pretty close to succeeding in in wiping out the ancient uh, the ancient knowledge that we used to have in in, in Europe. Ironically, it was actually the Muslims who preserved the traditions. <laughs> Um, mm. And uh, and then uh, and then when when this material was rediscovered in the mid you know 1400s you know it just it sparked the European Renaissance. Um, however, uh, in a period uh, that came to be called the Enlightenment, you know, like around 1700s 1800s, all this was lost again. You know, there was a real reaction against anything that was mystical. And the scientific materialistic paradigm kind of took over academia and took over intellectual life. And, uh, and you know, so, so all this has been lost again. You know, uh, scholars are fully aware of all this evidence of this rich mystical strain at the very root of Western civilization. But they ignore it, uh, T. 
they say it's oriental contamination of pure, huh. rational Western thought. They find it embarrassing that many of the fathers of Western civilization were nowhere nearly as committed to materialism as academics are today. The Greeks were curious and open-minded. So when we searched intelligently for a deeper understanding of our spiritual nature, we're not betraying the Western tradition. We're just following in the footsteps of its founders. Which is better as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you know, I, you did want to talk about some of the people, and I, I'm, I'm so excited about this because you speak of Pythagoras, and I just love him. He's the father of numerology. I love this guy. Yes. He was also a big believer in reincarnation, and Plato studied his ideas, and he claimed to remember yes. past lives, and of course, you know, that was back in the day of, what, 600 B.C. or something. You know, he went to Egypt. He started an ashram. He did a lot, didn't he? Yes, yes. T, you really know your stuff. Um, I read uh, your book. Pythag- <laughs> um, uh, Pythagoras, uh, he, this is the guy who invented the theorem that we learn about in math class, you know, the Pythagorean theorem. Mm-hmm. That's what we hear about Pythagoras in school. As you said, he actually founded a hugely successful spiritual community in Italy. And this, yes, you're right, this was around 600 B.C., His followers meditated, they ate no meat, they drank no alcohol, they worked out, they practiced, very famously, they practiced music therapy, and they tried to reach a state of enlightenment. Uh, Pythagoras uh, actually spent decades studying with spiritual masters in Egypt, Syria, and Persia, and possibly even with Hindu Brahmins, according to one ancient source. And get this, his first teacher was Thales. Now, this is the same Thales that we learned, or at least I learned in grade school, was the father of Western science. It Mm -hmm. was Thales who encouraged Pythagoras to go to Egypt because Thales himself had studied with the priests there. It's a myth that the... uh, that the Greeks were these self-educated geniuses who thought of all their ideas by themselves. Uh, Many of them actually uh, uh, studied abroad. Um, Let me me tell you about Empedocles. He was actually uh, practicing in the uh, uh, Pythagorean tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, Empedocles was the guy that we were told in grade school was the first to teach that matter is made of elements. If that, you know, rings a a bell in anyone's anyone's head, that's Empedocles. That's what we hear about him. Um, Mm -hmm. In real life, he was a doctor, a a physician. But his main interest, according to the ancient sources, was, quote, curing souls. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, He was a hugely popular public speaker, and if you're wondering, well, what did he advise his, his, his audience uh, you know, that, that would really promote their uh, health and well-being since he was a doctor? And Pericles told people to meditate. And mm-hmm. uh, here's what he said. This is, this is a quote straight from the uh, ancient Greek sources. This is Empedocles. You must plunge beneath your crowded thoughts and calmly contemplate higher realities with pure, focused attention. 
then a state of tranquility will remain with you throughout your life. But if instead you direct your attention to the trivial things most people obsess about, the silly nonsense that dulls their minds, then all you'll get are uh, physical things that you'll just lose anyway. Um, and, and one more short quote. I, I just I have to read this to you. Um, okay. And Pedicles, uh, okay. So here's the guy. He's, he's one of the founders of the Western scientific tradition. So here's what Empedocles has to say about God. He says, The divine isn't something you can see with your eyes or hold in your hands. It doesn't have a face or feet or gender, but is pure consciousness, whose awareness extends throughout the entire cosmos. It is nothing but consciousness in every direction and eternally rejoices in the encircling silence. Now, T, today we call this Eastern philosophy. 2,500 yeah. years ago, this was Western philosophy. Mm. Isn't that interesting? It, 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 it's mind-blowing. It blows it is. my mind. You know, and, and, and these were really significant people in, in, in the history of, of Western civilization, and we never hear about this. We never hear this side of the ancient Greeks. No, we don't. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned about Pythagoras, and, and that's probably another reason why I love him, is because of the um, the music therapy. You know, I mean, yes. I'm a certified vibrational sound therapist, so I work with quartz crystal singing bowls, and that music is very healing. And I've seen some pretty magical things happen, you know, astoundingly in my practice, working with people, treating people with cancer, um, you know, uh, all kinds of different, from cancer all the way down to, you know, just migraines, uh, which wow. are not just, I get those, so you know, it's pretty bad, but you know, anxiety, um, plantar fasciitis, uh, things have disappeared in people. Warts have gone away on people that they've had for two years. I mean, two feet full of warts gone away overnight after a treatment. You know, it, the music therapy is starting to come back. A lot of these things are starting co- to come back now, which is good because I don't understand, you know, why do you think these great spiritual masters? have been forgotten why why are they lost and why does it keep happening they get lost they come back it gets lost again what are we doing that is creating that you know i don't know you know see sometimes it seems to me like only you know a a small percentage of, of of people are really sincerely interested in spiritual life you know, and, and there are plenty of other things to be interested in, but sometimes people are just caught up in, you know, uh, regular material life, and and mm. then and then you have now the, the scientific paradigm, which was so successful, you know, in the 1700s and 1800s. You know, they discovered, you know, electromagnetic force. They discovered one thing after another. Ultimately, mm-hmm. they put men on the moon and so on. So they have a lot of authority. You know, I mean, they they deliver on on not all, but on but on many of their claims, um, and they say all this stuff is BS. Mm. Um, you know, it's not part of their paradigm, and and that we're you know betraying you know our our own rationality when we pursue an interest in that. You know, the the thing is, um, I I'm sure that ultimately, whether it's in a few decades or or more, they're going to discover the scientific pre- principles behind what you're doing with your music therapy, with your sound theory for uh, therapy, for mm-hmm. example. They, they will yeah, they already have pretty much. Yeah. 
and, and yet for now they're just like you know you know and, and they control you know the the universities and and, mm-hmm. and what's taught in schools now that's not wholly a bad thing and i understand why it's like that it was because for you know 14 well no for 1200 years uh western teaching western education was dominated by uh, uh, Christianity was, which was in many respects very anti-intellectual. Uh, I mean, they had a sort of Aristotelian approach to to physics and some things, but but uh, thinking for yourself was literally illegal. I, I mean, during the uh, medieval period, if you were a vegetarian, and and people yeah. in you know who were uh, part of the Inquisition found out, you could you could wind up being uh, tortured and killed. I mean, I'm not joking because pagans mm-hmm. were vegetarians. So if you were a vegetarian, that must mean that you were a pagan. And then you had to be rooted out of society because you were a menace to society because you were thinking for yourself. You were not thinking what you were told to think. Her brainwashing was big. (laughs) Yes, it it really was. We really had the Mm -hmm. thought police. And that's why we had something called the Dark Ages. Mm -hmm. Because people were were not allowed to think outside a, a very limited box. Um, and that was, it was really, really a tragedy. You know, I, I, when I was a child, I always heard about antiquity from the point of view of my own Christian tradition. And so reading all this, uh, this ancient Greek, uh, uh, and, and early Roman material, it's given me a different perspective on things. Um, when I read about Christian zealots, now this is not Jesus. This is not Jesus Christianity. This is just fanatics. You know, burn mm-hmm. the libraries in days when, right. when, a, when, a, when a book was worth a fortune. They, you know, each every book had to be hand copied, um, and so pagans would rush into the libraries to try to save the books from the flames, and these Christian zealots would uh, bar them inside the libraries to burn to death with their books. You know, and one story after another. That as a person who was raised a Christian, it breaks my heart to uh, mm. to really realize, you know, how that dark side uh, uh, of of my own tradition took over there for some time. You know, the the worst excesses of which we saw in things like the Inquisition, and and parts mm-hmm. of the Crusades where they, you know, just massacred entire communities. Um, it, it you know, it's very disturbing. And so, of course, then when, with the rise of science, they reacted against, they reacted very strongly against all of this. And, but, but instead of finding a, a point of balance between science and spirituality, they went to the completely opposite extreme. And so what we're looking for is a balance that acknowledges what's good and useful in science, but also acknowledges what is true in our, in our own personal spiritual experience and that honors uh, our spiritual teachers, including those who lived like Pythagoras 2,600 years ago. Mm, true. You know, it's interesting because, and I agree with you, I think a lot of people are um, not really working toward, they don't really want to live a spiritual life. They want to live a spiritual life, but they don't know how to do it. So they do things that yeah. they think are the right thing to do, but it doesn't carry through to everyday, everyday living. However, I do see an increase in people wanting that, you know, they, they go to yoga, they do the meditation, they want that peace that comes from that. And even doing that just a few times a week does bring about a peacefulness within them, which is great for, for their own being, their family, and for the planet, you know, the, 
the, the collective whole. And I think that that is becoming more and more in the past, I'd say 15 years, I've seen an increase in the yoga classes I go to and how many people go to them and, and the talks that are being done, the education that's out there. There's a lot more things to attend regarding this. And I, I'd like to think, and maybe I'm just dreaming here, but I'd like to think that people are wanting something better for themselves and for the world at large. And, and they're trying, you know, they're trying to, to be at peace with themselves and with the world and, and make peace with the situations that are going on right now, because we have right now in this world, one extreme to the other. We have the people who right. really want peace. And then we have the people who are extremely violent. It's all happening at right. the same time. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yes, and it's probably always been true, honestly, G. But oh, uh, yeah. but, it, it, but it's just and we really, really see it now. We really do. Yeah, well, we have more technology to be able to see everything happening all over the exactly. world. Exactly. So it, right. Yeah. So it's in our face all the time. So we get to see right. it, and that's very that drives up anxiety and stress levels and creates problems for people. So, you know, maybe we are coming into a time where people. I think this is why you book is so good to bring people back and say you know there were times when this was really accepted and and it, it it's it's real this is very real so let's start thinking right. this way again and changing the you know those neuropathways in our brains so that we can all be a little bit more peaceful and have the life that we want to have uh, there was one there were many but one of the um philosophers i like this guy i don't know how if i'm going to say this right anaxagoras he was talking about pole shift which is very cool because it turns out it's not so new age after all, is it? <laughs> yeah, and ax, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and Axagoras, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, he, he did. There, it's actually kind of amazing when we look back at, at, at different things that uh, the ancient philosophers were saying. Proclus, uh, uh, he actually mentioned uh, that there were uh, moons going around Jupiter. And uh, we have this idea that, that this myth actually that telescopes were invented uh, uh, around the time of Galileo, and Galileo was the first person ever to see the moons of Jupiter. And then, so scholars are agog. You know, what a lucky guess that that uh, that uh, Proclus uh, thought that there were moons going around Jupiter. Well, no, there had been lenses around since at least, since the first um, dynasty in Egypt. You know, they had been found. You know, in tombs. Um, so there was just, you know, the ancients knew a lot more than, than we give them credit for. It's, it's not so much that they were so ignorant as that we're so ignorant about them and about how much yes. has been lost. Yeah. Why do, we, why do we think we're so smart? Just because we're further ahead in calendar years than those, yeah. you know, than those people. Why do we think that we evolved to a smarter being? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we go backwards a little bit when we poo-poo things. And, you know, it's really horrible that we're not looking at them and, and learning from them. It's, it's kind of like not learning from our elders. You know, um, we don't revere right. our elders as much as we should in, as other countries do. We just send everybody to Florida, the, the, you know, the nursing home mm. capital of the world, and, and, and call it a day. Uh, so it's, it's a similar type of thing. Um, well, one of the, key, we're told from earliest childhood, you know, how, how advanced we are over everyone else in the world because we have high tech, and people in the past yeah. only had low tech, so they were, they were so low. Or some of these people, like the people of India, you know, there's all this, like, racism, um, um, uh, sort of uh, covert racism behind this. You know, well, uh, people who weren't, you know, white people who weren't our ancestors could not really have known that much. Um, 
it's it's uh, you know it, it's really kind of silly. I'm sorry. It I is. And, oh no, that's quite all right. And really, what what technology do we have today that's so wonderful that we're not abusing? Everything is being abused. And when you start abusing technology, it's really not that good anymore. You know, if you're using it for the purposes that they're meant to be used for and and for good, it's very helpful. But when it becomes abusive and addictive and you're not using it for the for the right reasons, it's not a good thing anymore. And we're not smart because we're obviously creating problems for ourselves by abusing the technology that we have. So that's not a smart move, you know, but people do think it is because, you know, we can do things, but they were doing things back then with crystals and everything else that were pretty fascinating, but nobody wants to give that credit that I think that's what gets me is nobody wants to give credit to, to things years ago because sometimes doing the things the old fashioned way really is the better way to go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe that's just that me. We are, we're more comfortable now. We have more comfortable lives now. I mean, mm-hmm. I living in my simple home here have more comforts than a king would, you know, a thousand years ago. However, right. uh, even though that they, they used low tech compared to us, their low tech was not threatening the planet. It's a, it's right. a, a misuse of high tech. Um, that's led to the actual planet being a threat. So, you know, it, it, it really is a horrible trade-off. Yeah, it really is. It, you know, it doesn't make us smarter. It just makes us different and maybe uh, a little egotistical in the power that we have in, in using it. And people laugh at me all the time. I do not have a magic phone. I do not know how to text. I don't want to learn how to text. I don't want to be cyber-stalked. There are things I just don't do. I have someone handle my social media because I, I don't want to do it. I can't. It's too, I, I said, this is too stressful. It's like high school. This is like high oh school. Oh, my God. You, saying, you, oh, you I, and I you know. have so much in common. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> I just can't take it. I'm like, no, I'd rather have a peaceful existence. Thank you. (laughs) Now, one of the, uh, Alexander the Great. Okay, this is fascinating. Alexander the Great and his his guru, is it Kalyana? I think I want to say that. Kalyana Kalyana would be the Greek name. The Greek was like Kalyanos, but but it would have been Kalyana in Sanskrit. Okay, Um, well, go ahead and talk about him and his guru, because that's kind of cool. Well, my God, you know, I have read so many books about Alexander over the years. I've watched multiple specials about him on, on television. I never heard that he had a guru. Um, well, that's why I thought it was cool. Uh, I never have either. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, he met uh, Kalyana. Uh, well, uh, to, go, uh, to go back to the start, virtually the first thing that Alexander did when he reached India, the one culture that he was not able to conquer, by the way, um, he sent his men on a reconnaissance mission to find one of these uh, yogis that he'd been hearing so much about. And this is a really, really famous story that has been preserved to us by, by the early Greeks. Let me go ahead and tell you this maybe in a little more detail because this is super interesting. But um, first, uh, the, the Greek scouts found a yogi named Dunda, who, who was actually a, a, a friend of, of, of Kalyana. So... Uh, uh, they met Danda, and 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 so they told him. And this was this is the words are actually recorded in, in in these historical texts. They said, Alexander, son of Zeus and sovereign of the entire earth, commands you to come at once. If he is pleased with you, he will reward you richly. If not, he will kill you. And here's what Danda, the yogi in India. Uh, answered Alexander the Great. It was written down actually by the, uh, the, uh, the scribes, the equivalent of reporters who were traveling with uh, uh, Alexander uh, to the east. Then they said, 
There is only one supreme king, the one who created light and life. This is the only king I obey, and he abhors war. How can this Alexander be supreme ruler as long as he himself is subject to the king of death? And, and what can he offer me when my mother, the earth, already provides everything I need? I have no possessions I need to guard, so I sleep peacefully at night. Alexander can kill my body, but he can't touch my soul. Tell mm-hmm. your king that at the time of death, each of us is called to account for our deeds. Ask him how he's going to explain the agony of those he has murdered and oppressed. He can tempt those who crave gold. He can terrify those who fear death, but we yogis care for neither. Tell your Alexander he has nothing I want, and I will not come to him. And um, and these ancient reporters, they actually uh, recorded what Alexander's response was when he heard this. So so Alexander said, I, the conqueror of the world, have been conquered by a naked old man. And this is what we see over and over again. The Greeks were just like astounded, just amazed and astounded uh, by the yogis. Um, Kalyana, um, um, uh, um, Alexander did not want to leave India without a guru. So he found actually an an elderly yogi named uh, Kalyana who was very reluctant to travel with him, but, but he was sort of pressured by his, his own channels, his own students, to, to go back with Alexander because maybe he could have some sort of positive effect on, on Alexander. But by the time they got back towards Persia, Kalyana was really disgusted with the Greeks. Um, uh, I mean, uh, Alexander was lavishing all this wealth and all these gifts on him, but he wasn't interested in any of that. And, and Alexander, of course, was just a raving alcoholic by this time and, and homicidal and all this. And Kalyana had had enough. So Kalyana decided he wanted to go back to India. But um, it was a long, long, long walk back, and he didn't want to walk back that whole distance because he was, I think, in his 60s. He was quite elderly at the time. Um, so he built a pyre, a funeral pyre, and sat down in it and, and lit, lit himself on fire and, and mm. left his body so he could go back to, to India without having to drag his body along. Um, <laughs> and so, and so the, the, the text tell us, you know, that the, the Greek troops are standing there watching this guy burn himself to death with no fear, no indication of any pain, and they're just like galvanized by this. And so they yeah. went back to Greece and carried these stories about these uh, these Greeks uh, with them. Um, maybe I should uh, let me just take a minute, maybe to tell you uh, to tell your listeners about Apollonius. Go ahead, uh, because he's yep. he's one of the uh, Greek sages we know who, um, who mm-hmm. spent time in India. There were numbers of them: Pyrrho, uh, Anaxarchus, and uh, uh, other important uh, important Greeks. Uh, so. Uh, when we think of who was the greatest spiritual figure of the first century, uh, most of us, like me, you know, think of Jesus. But mm-hmm. uh, during his own lifetime, Jesus was not very well known at all in the Roman Empire. Uh, it was uh, another century or two before Jesus became really famous. In in the first century, the most famous sage in uh, in the Roman world was Apollonius of Tyana. Um, and he traveled to India and studied in a Hindu ashram. We have the uh, uh, we have an actual uh, 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 record of this by Philostratus. Uh, 
Um, and and we learned that um, that everywhere that Apollonius went after he returned from India, Greece, Rome, Spain, Turkey, North Africa, he would tell people about the yogis. Um, he went to Egypt too, uh, and and he was telling people these uh, these uh, yogis were the wisest, most amazing human beings he had ever met anywhere in the world. And then uh, the, the two great spiritual cultures of of that era were. Um, uh, Egypt and India. And so uh, when he came back, he wanted to visit Egypt also because he was renowned for his spirituality. So uh, but he was traveling through Egypt. He, he was disappointed. It was uh, the, the, the tradition there was in decline at that point because it, was, it had been occupied by the Persians for a couple of centuries. And, uh, and it had just taken some really, really bad hits. But, but uh, what he found in the temples was that the esoteric teachings and the practices and the forms of worship of ancient Egypt were so amazingly similar to the teachings uh, in India that he actually developed this uh, this hypothesis, which, which blew my mind. Um, he had this fascinating theory that in deep antiquity, a group of teachers from India must have migrated to northern Africa and taught this stuff to the Egyptians. Now I'm not saying that that's true historically. I'm just I'm just mm-hmm. because we don't know for sure that needs more research. But um, but this is what Apollonius uh, thought, and he knew both traditions well. You know, there's all these amazing links actually between uh, India and Egypt. Um, you know, Osiris, the ancient god king. Uh, King mm-hmm. God of, of, of uh, um, ancient Egypt. You know, there, there are even reports in, in, the, in the literature of legends that Osiris had gone to India. Um, all kinds of links. Uh, you know, uh, up to closer around Jesus' time, just before Jesus' time, we, we, we all heard of Cleopatra. And yet yep. she killed herself by you know taking the poison of the ash. But that was not right. her plan A. You know, if Mark Antony was killed, she was not planning to kill herself. She was planning to flee to India because of all uh, all, all the Egyptian connections there, and uh, mm. and she had, uh, and, and she only killed herself because uh, uh, Octavian got hold of the, the ships that she was planning to flee in and and destroyed them. So um, so you know. Um, one of the things that, that I write about in the book, you know, Lost Masters, Rediscovering the Mysticism of the um, Ancient Greek Philosophers, is mm-hmm. the Corpus Hermeticum. You know, yes, and, I was going to ask you about that. I wanted to ask you if you would tell us a bit about the Corpus Hermeticum, because I, I think that's something that people are not familiar with. This, uh, these were uh, uh, texts that, uh, that meld the ancient Egyptian and ancient Greek uh, um, uh, Spiritualities together, um, mm-hmm. and we're not sure exactly when they were written. They were written in Greek, probably maybe in Alexandria or somewhere in northern uh, Egypt, um, maybe somewhere between the first and third centuries, uh, but certainly based on much older uh, traditions. And if you ask me, the one greatest spiritual text to come out of the Western tradition in over 2,000 years is the Corpus Hermeticum. It's like so inspiring. It, it, um, uh, as we were, uh, uh, as you actually mentioned earlier, uh, they, uh, they were lost to the Western world um, for uh, uh, centuries and centuries, and it was only in 
1460, they were rediscovered and translated into Latin. And they were part of uh, this huge movement that sparked the European Renaissance. Them and and and, and the, uh, uh, rediscovering the Aeneids by Plotinus and, and, and other ancient texts like that by the ancient Greeks. It got people thinking. It was so inspiring that people were starving, you know, for real juice, real spiritual juice, for what Jesus actually called the living waters, which maybe not so much, not so much in the church anymore at that time, and. Uh, and texts like the Corpus Hermeticum and, or, or Plotinus Aeneids or, or Plato's works, I mean, this really set people on fire uh, and, and, and just, just transformed uh, Europe. Um, Plotinus is actually my favorite of the ancient Greek philosophers. Um, uh, he actually tried to reach India uh, he, when he was in his early 30s. Um, he headed out with the um, uh, Roman army um, as they were moving against Persia, but uh, but he was uh, uh, but the Roman emperor was assassinated and uh, was murdered, and and so Plotinus was forced to return and and went back to uh, uh, Rome. Actually, he, he was born in Egypt himself. He was Egyptian, but um, um, his his philosophy of, of, of how everything is one, how everything emerges. You know, it's projected from the one. Uh, uh, when these texts were um, translated into Latin, and then uh, rabbis in Spain, you know, in the uh, uh, 14, early 1500s, uh, uh, discovered this material, that was what transformed uh, um, um, esoteric Judaism into Kabbalah as we know it today. You know, and it influenced... Uh, 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 Sufism. Uh, he had a huge impact. When uh, St. Augustine, who was one of the founders of uh, Orthodox Christianity, when he was on his deathbed, so you think, you know, he's just going to want to read the Bible, you know, as he's lying there dying. But he called for Plotinus Aeneids. He wanted to reread the Aeneids because they were just so full of, of, of spiritual life uh, uh, and so much profound wisdom. Um, even though it was by a quote pagan, you know, uh, a non-Christian source. Now these guys were like amazing. These uh, uh, these ancient Greek philosophers. Um, you know, many of us have already heard about you know yoga and meditation techniques from India, or about Sufism or the Kabbalah. What we don't know about is our own Western heritage. We don't even know it existed. I want people to know how exciting the Greek philosophers were, how amazing their lives were, um, that they studied with wise men and women of older spiritual cultures uh, from uh, around them, like uh, the Magi from Persia, the Chaldeans uh, in Iraq, as well as teachers from Egypt, and even in some cases um, with teachers from India. People should know about philosophers like Plato, Plotinus, Proclus, Hypatia, and the absolutely mind-blowing things uh, they were teaching uh, thousands of years ago. Uh, I'm inviting readers to explore their long-forgotten Western spiritual heritage. It will challenge everything you thought you knew about the men and women who founded Western civilization. It's just, it's just like amazing. You know, it many is. It's of the fascinating. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. It is. 
It is mind-blowing, and I have a couple of questions for you that I, these are not really relative, well, they're relative to your book, but they're not um, in your book. I'm just curious because I think it's, I think it's very, very interesting. When we talk about uh, reincarnation and what they believed in about reincarnation, do you feel anyone in recent history may have been, or present day, is one of these philosophers reincarnated? Does anyone meet uh, that math? Uh, I'm, I'm actually not going to say um, over um, over uh, the air um, because I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. But there are one or two people who I suspect. I don't know, but I suspect. Okay. There's one person who reminds me of Empedocles so much, so much. And if you read any of his books, you would think, oh, my gosh, this is Empedocles. Um, and, and I know him personally. Um, and just, his, his temperament, everything about him is so much like Empedocles, it's just astounding. Is, is it because of curing the souls? Um, yes. I may, and, be think, I may be thinking of the same person, because <laughs> I think uh, that some of these people might be. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. who knows, but but uh, yeah. it, it is. You know, hey, let me let me tell you what Empedocles himself said about reincarnation. How about that? 30 yeah. seconds. Um, okay, so to our listeners here, this is Empedocles, one of the founders of Western science, um, and here's what he says about reincarnation. Souls who through their own error fall under the power of fear and delusion are forced by eternal law to wander for long cycles, taking birth in mortal bodies, exchanging suffering in one type of body for suffering in another. I'm one of those exiles myself wandering far from my heavenly source, having mistakenly put my faith in this crazy, violent world. And Pericles. Mm-hmm. They, That's they really interesting. Us, they didn't tell us this about Empedocles when I was in school. I mean, no, I well, studied no. It, the, yeah. I, I, when I was in college, I took a course in the ancient Greeks. It was the most boring class that, that I took <laughs> in my uh, college or, or, post, or postgraduate years. Um, uh, and, and all the life, all the, in fact, my, my professor was a, a Jesuit professor and he, uh, we were reading uh, Aristotle and Plato and, and he was, he, he was specifically telling us, ignore this part of Plato. Don't read this part. Don't read this part because it, it, it's a sad part where we see that even a great mind like, uh, uh Plato's was polluted by these Eastern ideas. Um, so actually, when I went back and began this research years ago, I, I went back and reread the parts of Plato that my uh, professor told us not to read, and 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 that's where the juice was. That's where the spiritual life and the mysticism and 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 the ecstasy was. Uh, Plato was 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 brilliant, but he was very very spiritually enlivened. Mm. And then my other question that I have for you is. You know, who, if anyone, do you feel today may in the future be considered a great philosopher of this time in history? Oh, wow. Um, uh, well, there are the, the conventional answers, um, but uh, ones I would say, I would, I would, for one, I would put out Eckhart Tolle there. Because, yeah, uh, me too. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, his book, uh, uh, The Power of Now, is like the quintessence mm-hmm. uh, of Eastern wisdom, but it's put in terms that 
any person can understand. He, he doesn't go into any philosophy or anything like that in, in any way that's going to, like, uh, uh, alienate people. He just describes it in terms of our actual experience. He's, he's so brilliant. Um, so uh, I would count him as one. Some people talk about Ken Wilber, although it, uh, um, um, he, he's certainly a brilliant intellectual. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's funny because you know that there are going to be some people that down the road will be considered a great philosopher of this time. I was just curious what you thought. I, I believe Eckhart Tolle as well. Uh, there's, that's almost like hands down. And like you said, it's, it's almost a, a canned response because it, it almost goes without saying it's kind of a given. I cannot right. believe that we are almost at the top of the hour, Linda. But before yeah. we go, uh, I'd like you to tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and where they can purchase your book, Lost Masters, Rediscovering the Mysticism of the Ancient Greek Philosophers. Lost Masters, you can, you can get it um, with Eckhart's uh, forward. You can get it from yes. you know, Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com or online. Or, you know, even better, go support your local bookshop, you know. Uh, um, and, and if they don't have it, ask them to order it. They'll be happy to get it for you. Um, if you want to check me out, you can uh, check out my website, lostmasters.com. That's lostmasters.com. Great. That's wonderful. I uh, really appreciate you being on air with us. It's been really an, a, a fascinating conversation, and I would tell people, you know, it, it, it's it's a quick read. It's really not a difficult read. It's not academic. It's a fun read. You'll learn a lot, and you'll be surprised by a lot. And you may find things resonate with you that, that you didn't learn before or know about these particular philosophers. I highly recommend it. It's a great book. So thank you, Linda. Appreciate that very much, and I appreciate your time. Thank Thank you, T. You're welcome. So listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio. So please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they can learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. It's a great way to start the new year, you know, start thinking about how you want to move forward. Read about these philosophers. Take on a challenge. You know, it's it's fascinating. So just, again, Lost Masters, Rediscovering the Mysticism of the Ancient Greek Philosophers, and you can learn more at www.lostmasters.com. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. Get out your calendar. Make a note of it now. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting, including my sound healing concerts and labyrinth walks. Please be sure to check out our charitable organization, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every penny, every penny, every single penny of every single donation goes directly to children in need. We are run solely by volunteers. There are no salaries or stipends. Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. Thank you for taking time to visit our website, sojihuggles.org. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. And also at Soji Huggles, S-O-J-I-H-U-G-G-L-E-S. 
I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. This 